Namaste and in La Ketch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host Zen Benefield and as always and if you haven't seen it in the past you're probably anticipating or if you have seen it in the past you're anticipating it. Namaste and in La Ketch come from two ancient languages. Namaste comes from the Sanskrit spoken it's Brahmi and it means the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. In La Ketch comes from the Mayan civilization, and it means something similar, but it's more personal, and that is, I am another you. So imagine holding those two thoughts and emotions inside of you, the awareness that it creates as you walk through your life on a daily basis, and meeting others and doing all the fun stuff, and even the not so fun stuff. Imagine the difference that that kind of attitude can have in your life. Don't believe me? Test it for yourself. See what happens. Okay, so this week's guest is Brian Kelly. He is the President and Human Connection Officer for Brian Kelly Leadership Coaching. He is also a member of the Biz Catalyst 360 group, which is how we met. He is a talented author for Deep Thinkers. And he also was a graduate from Boston College and Georgetown University in both business administration, finance and economics from Boston College and leadership coaching from Georgetown University. Brian, glad to have you here. Thanks for coming aboard. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate being here and uh, look forward to our conversation. Well, cool. You know, I, as always, you know, my inquiry and part of it's for my own corroboration and validation, I guess, is that, you know, we all go through periods of our lives and, and some of younger, some midlife, some older, in awakening to some kind of inner connection with life. So I'm just based on what I've written, your writing and, and our initial conversations, I know you've had something like that. Could you kind of elucidate on, on what that was like and maybe the period of life that it happened? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, well, there's probably been a couple, but the, the main one that I'll focus on is when I was at Georgetown going through that uh, first coaching certification program, um, I went in with a mindset of, this is where I was at the time of um, being uh, in control. And I talked to several of my um, peers at uh, the place of uh, employment that I was at to get a sense for what to expect. And they're like, oh, you're going to have to do triads. You're going to have to bring stuff to get coached on and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll do that. But I'm going to control how vulnerable I get. With yeah, them. right. So <laughs> you go through the program and um, I'm opening up, opening up. And, you know, uh, honestly, I was struggling in terms of applying the learning to, and I, you know, I had a, had this conversation with myself and more than a conversation it was actually a, a deep conversation and re reflection on what I really wanted to do in terms of becoming a coach and serving in that way um, I was like what's getting in my way because I was having you know challenges with uh, applying it and I knew I could do it I just something was getting in the way and I was like what's going on here so May of about 2013 this is about maybe three quarters of the way to 80 percent through the program um, for about a week, I just went totally inside and just reflected on like, what's going on? What's getting in the way? Um, do I really want to be, you know, 
going in this direction? Is it just something that I'm doing to check the box or is it something that's meaningful for me? The outcome of that was a shift in my relationship with vulnerability. And so my belief had been that vulnerability meant weakness. I'd been conditioned in terms of uh, different phases through life and through different experiences that uh, men weren't supposed to show emotion. Men weren't supposed to be vulnerable, right? Um, and so- It turns out uh, to be a superpower, isn't it? It turns out to be a superpower. How about that, right? And, um, and so, yeah. And so I come to that realization. Um, I realize I'm going to have to invite my uh, clients to step into vulnerability, to become better leaders and to uh, better connect with themselves. And so my reframe is, or was uh, that vulnerability is human. It's how we connect with one another, right? And so um, that was uh, that was a game changer for me. And sure. a story I tell all the time is that was May and the last set of classes was in June. So I go and show up for the first day of the last set of classes. And I go up to the second floor of the building where the room is. And between the elevator and the room, I past two classmates and they said exactly the same thing to me they said you look lighter and they weren't talking about my weight my whole physical manifestation had changed and they could see something in it and uh while i didn't need the validation because i'd been through my process and i knew i had changed um that validation of congruence was important because i had been experiencing incongruence in terms of um, the workplace in terms of how I felt versus what the environment was and those kind of things. Isn't it so interesting how others, the, the, just to interrupt, because I think it's a, a really cool point to make notice of. And that's when you've made those adjustments internally, your outer world reflects it. And sometimes in obvious ways, like your classmates did. It's so important and um, it's a lot of the work that I do with the people that I work with is, you know, we talk about, you know, what kind of coach are you? They want to label a coach a certain thing, leadership coach, an executive coach, a life coach. And um, that's fine, right? You got to have some clarity about what, what you're, um, who you're seeking and, and what the services they provide. I've never really thought about myself that way because ultimately any kind of coaching you do is going to come back to that inside out story of how you show up differently. And that's what I help people do is I help people see differently. And it's mindset coaching, if you will. Well, in order to do that though, as any kind of coach worth your salt, you have to do that first. You've got to have been through something, right? And, right. and, and learn something from that and be able to um, then bring that to how you serve. And that's, that's the, um, the gift that came from that process because it was pretty pretty tough week um going through that i kind of shut myself down and um uh, isolated myself went inside which for someone uh, of where i was at the time that was a big deal because i you know i didn't really go into that mm -hmm. thinking about those kind of things and um and so now a lot of what i do ultimately the core of it you know we can whatever the goals are the goals but the the core issue remains how what is your relationship with yourself and right. how do you shift that based on what is getting in the way whether it's vulnerability or control or some version of fear now speaking of that conversation with self okay so there's the two right you're bantering back and forth as you're conferring and analyzing and conjecturing and postulating all that kind of stuff did you ever notice a third voice that comes in with clarity there's the, uh, well, I guess the way I would look at it is there's the, uh, 
voice of doubt and voice of what are you trying to do here? What are you, you know, kind of skeptical? And then there's mm -hmm. the possibilities voice. And the challenge, what I realized was that, because I'm a possibility thinker, and what I realized was the best of me, I'd squelched for most of my life because I was listening to the wrong voice to, to your point. It's my voice. My mm -hmm. inner voice uh, had been muted. And so uh, what ends up uh, being a lot of my work too is helping, pe helping people see that they're, they're not stepping fully into their voice and trying to, uh, discover what that is and then step into the courage of sharing it and believing that their uh, perspective matters. And it often shows up in giving away power in terms of a lot of the people I work with, what that looks like. And people get confused by, well, I don't give away my power. And then, you know, we, we go through uh, situations and I just point back, remember when I was talking about that? This is what I was talking about. <laughs> you give it away to gain it, right? Yeah. You know, there was even a guy that, you know, a long time ago said, you give up your life for my sake and you'll, you'll gain it. Well, it's the same thing <clears throat> when you release to that. Now, you know, and, and, you know, for me, I developed my inner voice very early in life and, and then had to navigate through life and, and see that, mm, you know, many others haven't. And so there was this question of, is my reality correct? And of course, it got proven over time. Yeah, it, it, and you learn more, better questions, deeper exploration and inquiry. And yet, you know, there's this ultimate release and, and then gaining of a better connection to yourself and to those around you. And your whole life shifts from that place of, like you were talking earlier, you know, kind of a little bit of angst right, to this place of, oh, okay, it's all about flow and being vulnerable and asking the questions and then allowing those answers <laughs> to come forth. <clears throat> you mentioned one thing, one of the articles I read on, on Biz Catalyst that, uh, recently that you wrote was about unlearning. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. What was the, the process? How did you unpack that? So it's, uh, it's been a journey, but um, that one of the books that I've been a contributing author to, that was the title of my chapter. And the, the book is Becoming You, Stories of Courage and Vulnerability. And so I shared my story in terms of uh, the vulnerability story, but then, you know, sort of a, uh, an evolution to that from childhood and what experiences were there. And so things, you know, we're taught, we were taught to be nice, right? What, is, what does that mean, right? Be nice because, based yeah, on nice, what your lens of that means. Yeah, but, but it, the thing is, it was different for everybody. It's like, you know, nice boys do this, nice girls, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, there's no judgment, really, because people are actually um, influencing you from the lens through which they look, right? Sure. So there's, there's no judgment there. Um, but the reality is, when we're young, we just assimilate, we take, we take, we take, and, and, and that's what we learn from our influencers. And so we get, then we mature we get into adulthood and we're still living with those beliefs and values and um and so the journey of learning for me uh was most powerful when i realized that the best thing i could do for myself was to unlearn to check some of the things that you know you know to your point about am i on the right path is this you know my is my view of the world the way it should be or um is to check some of the things and see do they really um, are they aligned with what I believe? Are they still, you know, things I want to carry on my journey with me? 
or not. And then the realization that I could leave behind what I didn't want to, and I could form my own um, beliefs and values and choices. And so um, I make the distinction in one of my articles of being nice versus being kind. And what I believe they meant when they were inviting me to be nice was be kind, like I, as if I wouldn't, but that was the invitation. And to me, nice is a, um, doesn't have any meaning to it. It's just, it's, it's, or it's amorphous in its meaning. Right. Well, um, and I, now there's the infamous nice. Yep. <laughs> kind of, you know, and that's, um, in, in a lot of ways, it, it's, um, it, it's embracing the cool stuff. Right. And it may, nice doesn't necessarily, um, and even kindness, you can be kind and still be revealing to others and, and, you know, kind of opening up sincere questions that don't necessarily, um, and, and this is one thing that, that seems to be consistent is that questions are often seen as confrontations, especially when they're getting you to question your beliefs. Mm. And, and that's back to how you choose to see and how you choose to receive or where you are, maybe from a mindset perspective in terms of mm -hmm. willingness to see. And then also maybe how the tone and how the presentation of the question can have an effect on that sure. too. Oh, absolutely. Um, from the exterior, from the interior, there's like, Oh, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh looking my God. In, was like, okay, where am I really with that? And is it, is it a belief? Is it based, you know, is it a belief that I've accepted from others? Or is it something that my experience has offered? Or is it something that is just contrived for some reason? just because we're able to do so, right? And then I always like it, the, the, do we shift from a belief system to an experience system over time? Because mm -hmm. we've tested those beliefs enough? I believe we do. Uh, there's an element of that. So. There's an element of that, right? And uh, I call it reflective experience. And uh, the feedback article I did is reflective experiential right it's based on mm -hmm. what you've experienced and it's and reflective having giving it some thought and not just automatically consuming it and regurgitating back out right. and so um, perspective still change over time or have the opportunity to because you're you're continuing to question it's I mean, an evolution on like your truth on the chopping block and whacking away at it and you know eventually it, it comes down to a you know a form and then there's that honing process afterwards yeah, it's it's for me. If as I go back to the the Georgetown um, story and that pivot point or that inflection point, um, it was shifting the relationship uh, and uh, moving from judgment to acceptance, and and then you talk about relationship with self and others. It has to start with self, though, right? In terms of uh, how you um, your mindset around it and how you show up in terms of uh, language you use, the energy. It's all kind of related. And then um, when I when I changed uh, and shifted my relationship with judgment to acceptance, and and this that happened as part of my process, um, I found that it wasn't like oh I went from zero to to a hundred like right then. It's an evolution, 
but I was more aware of when things were happening and then I could kind of then hone as you're talking about going through the process. Right. My awareness had shifted, right? My awareness had um, shifted and um, enabled me to see differently. And that's okay, sort so of- So let, let, let's unpack that a little bit. Let me ask you this. I, um, did you notice that in that shift and as you developed the, the coaching expertise a little more, did you notice that you really and the self-awareness to pay attention to the words coming out of your mouth you know there's this well i don't know what i think until it comes out of my mouth right kind of thing and and yet in that flow because you're able to hear the words and be self-reflective which doesn't always occur right there's a certain tipping point in your own self-awareness process where that becomes part of it but that's also where we adjust right how did that work for you so it's interesting right so it's a yes and yes the, i paid more attention to the words i was more in, intentional with the words i used what changed for me was paying attention to my body and feelings and paying attention to how i felt when i received stuff when things came up um, because i was completely detached from the information that was available in my body in terms of um uh, what is it um somatics it was right. interesting because we were and doing even energy, energy too, because exactly. you're feeling what what you're describing is that there's these sensations in your body and you know our body's an instrument we just haven't learned how to tune it yet let alone play it well right. and even according to other indigenous philosophies the body is the most important aspect of the reception of information in order to process it starting with the gut the first brain is what they call it the, the heart being the second brain and then we make the choices with the third brain after everything's been distilled and presented in a more true fashion yeah and it's one of the things that um in the class in the uh, georgetown program uh they invited us to they did a little bit on neuroscience and they said well you know what gets formed first in the body the heart or the mind or the brain and I didn't really know the answer at that point, just cognitively, mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, and it's interesting, right, that uh, the heart gets formed first. So the messages first are going from the heart outward. And uh, do we, you know, how, do, how well do we pay attention to those or are we conditioned to um, focus on our mind or what we think and disregard or learn to become um, disconnected from the messages coming from our energy the harder to go deeper than that you know because even in the um what is the chakra system and, and that kind of alignment which is proven to be you know pretty substantial the seat of the will in the solar plexus so there's the ebb and flow of that will process of whether we're projecting receiving um, or just sensing you know what's possible to happen right and, and and it goes much deeper just from the context of getting people out of their minds and giving them a, a, some context around um basic context around well the heart forms first right and there's really two-way communication and we get so wrapped around thoughts and what we're thinking and the longest journey right the 18 yeah. inches <laughs> the 18 inches exactly and so um 
as we're learning about that. And we got taught that for our own benefit and the likelihood that our clients would be struggling with that too, being so wrapped sure, up. In we our all mind. go through very similar process. A process is pretty much the same. We go through it differently because of how we think and feel during it. And I think our experience too, and, and traditions right. and customs and the, the context of our life, right? Absolutely. So that creates a different experience. And then, yeah. Um, so it's, uh, that was, that was pivotal for me in terms of personally and professionally, um, changed how I saw myself, changed how I saw, showed up with other people as was represented, uh, with my classmates, uh, when we came back to, to class in June. And so, um, that's really what I helped folks do now is, um, you know, what, 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 what do they want to be? What is their goal? Yeah. But, um, what is getting in the way of that and how do we shift what is not serving you to both a mindset and a practice of something that does. Mm -hmm. Now in, in your walk, you know, which is kind of interesting. And I've, I've found that the universe provides the path that's up to us to walk it mm -hmm. and being able to step into that where there's some significant, um, to use a massy term, significant emotional events that help to move you along the spectrum towards a, a more self-aware being and, and when even throughout your life whether the whether it was younger teenagers we often have experiences and, and things that happen during that period and, and the early maturation process of, in our 20s what was going on with you during that period so i mean I, we can get into deep stuff now in terms of deep personal stuff but um so there's relationship with if you care to share I, I, you know again relationship with here we, here we touch on that vulnerability spot right <laughs> right um so relationship with family members right um and them coming from a generation where there's generational or gender expectations and um what they knew and going up in a uh, a different generation and being exposed to um expectations that were more fluid or flexible and um and really it came down to things that uh like emotional intelligence that were lacking in some family members that played critical roles right so mm -hmm. um and so what did that mean for um that influence on me and how did it how did what what can i do i can i can uh be aware of what's going on with me and, and finding and ascertaining what i need and then disconnecting from the source of it as being bad or anything negative, but it's all right, this is where I am. Um, and so some of that was going on in terms of um, a little bit lost in terms of direction of where I wanted to go, like coming out of college, go to college, you know, get a job. There was that kind of mindset. And I was like, okay, that seems fairly mindless. Um, didn't really. Uh, and yeah, you were all in that kind of place too you know that was one of those processes especially from more affluent families it was like you know you got to go to college not knowing what the heck you're going to do and you're supposed to be able to have oh yeah i'm i have a vision for my life and this is where i'm going to go few do that mm -hmm. the majority of us like you know we we start that process we get a degree and go into a job we think that we're <laughs> you know, prepared for, and we get there, it's like, oh, I really don't like this. Then what? Then what, exactly. And then in, we can go back to education too, right? And then 
it's all about congruence for me, really incongruence, going through education and the whole school system. I did fairly well there. I ended up at Boston College. I was um, blessed in many ways. Um, but incongruence, like, like, why do I have to take calculus? How am I going to ever use calculus? Like, why do I, like, certain things are requirements, like, based, like, why does everybody have to take the same curriculum? Like, right. everybody's got different. And so those kind of things, I was like, I just got to, you got to do it. So just do it. Okay, fine. Go through college. But get to the work environment. It's the same thing. It's like, this is the way we do things. Right. Well, our, our educational system, when Dewey and his cronies set it up, was to put people in the workplace and in factories, because right. that's the way things were at that time. And there really wasn't a, a look forward as to, okay, what are our future needs going to be? And are these kids and our future generations, that will they need to have the critical thinking and, and exploratory skill set? Uh, of knowing how they learn first, mm -hmm. you know, and then being able to apply the aptitude that they have toward something that, you know, makes their life meaningful and serves the community. So we don't have those kinds of things. And, and there's a lot of talk, I, being an educator myself, I taught uh, high school for almost a decade and ended up writing a business plan for a model school afterwards out of the things I saw that was missing. And one of those was the assessment process. We do not look at the aptitude, attitude, and, and, um, and passion kids have toward something and to be able to nurture that. Instead, we put them in a box, we teach them skills and give them information and then expect them to repeat it and or you know to test them to make sure they get it and yet in the educational process and, and teacher training there was this interesting fact that was brought up and what it was was 40 percent of the information learned is retained with passive listening now by teaching it 98% is retained. So what we've we got things backwards. The kids need to be teaching. Right? Give them the information. Let them uh, absorb it in, in whatever way they can. And then have the conversations where they're teaching each other about it. Yes. Wouldn't that be interesting to take place? Uh, and, and maybe so. And their how might that affect their engagement too? They're actually getting to show, you know, their uh, aptitude and their skills and their communication skills in terms of relating what they know. I think there's a lot of benefit to that in terms of the opportunity. Um, and then, so we go through education and then we go to the workplace and well, how the workplace is set up? Well, they're set up like the production line thing. We're serving the factory. So, you know, this is how it's been. And, um, and so you go in and it's, you know, assimilate and comply, assimilate and comply, assimilate mm -hmm. and comply. Uh, and this is your role, it's your role. And so um, as the world evolves and we find out people have uh, men, multiple different talents, multiple passions, and um, we talk about uh, employees are our best asset and caring about employees, yet the it's sort of like what I see and what I, what I live, right? What you see lived, the lived behavior doesn't, isn't congruent with the, uh, the words, right? 
And right. so there's incongruence there, right? And if so, having a, a dissenting opinion or an opinion that um, didn't comply or conform uh, might have impacts for you, right? Might have impacts in terms of how you're viewed um, and the opportunities that may um, you may be afforded going forward based on uh, what the expectations are. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody, you know, where most of the world, at least in the U.S., the conditioning was, uh, you know, get a job and comply. You got to navigate the culture, navigate the environment, not you know, navigate relationships. And it seemed to get further and further away from valuing the people for who they were, uh, inviting and creating the conditions under which they could be uh, seen and heard, and um, and expanding impact and cultivating the expansion of impact. Right. The experience was. You know, walking through the door and putting on my um, my what I call my work mask, and I, I wrote something on this too. The work mask in terms of uh, I just survival, survive during the how do I survive mm-hmm. the day, and then you know go back and live my life. It's kind of like, and you're familiar with disc assessments, right? In in, yeah. in those disc assessments, you the assessment gives you your natural and your adaptive styles, and often those are two vastly different things because one is who you are the other is what you need to do to apply yourself in in the given situation what i've one of the things that that, i guess a a blessing that i've had i was introduced to the partnering process in in the construction world Mm. 20 some odd years ago and this was brought about you know that in what you're saying you go to work and, and you serve the mission and vision of the company the the job is the boss and, and you don't really have a whole lot to say about it because it's a top-down kind of thing well now with partnering there had been in the construction industry it was an adversarial environment for a mm-hmm. lot of years and what they found was and there were you know lots of litigation that <laughs> took place too that's expensive in the process of, of learning how to work with people places and things better they developed this um, environment or this scenario and process that honored the the each individual and the stakeholder team what their skill set their responsibility their place in, in the job but also brought them together to serve the job rather than the agendas of each of the subgroups within it because ultimately you know it was the project it was the completion uh it, no injuries all, all those kinds of things that that are involved with that that brought them all together to sort i call it job archy right where jobs the boss and everybody wins mm-hmm. however instead of the top down this is kind of a bottom up because you've got the specifications as to how the job needs to be built, right? And that's kind of how life is, right? When we peel the layers of the onion back. So this process actually allows that energy of the group to coalesce and focus on the goal as opposed to the dissension and process or the unhappiness that people generally feel in the workplace because they're not being paid attention to. Yeah, I, I think of that as side-by-side leadership, right? So where everybody's contributing, mm-hmm. bringing their brilliance, I call it interdependent leadership. Right. Um, and so um, what's possible then when we um, 
when people are actually in flow with who they are and contributing that way. And you know, the DISC is an assessment. I use the Strengths Finder often in terms of helping to identify strengths and uh, the application of strengths to what the person is doing and what they want to do and how they show up in their life. Mm-hmm. And so um, how often are we taking even the time to get to know our people? Um, I found that was a challenge that uh, wasn't happening uh, as a natural course. It was, all right, I lost a person. I've got to hire a new person. Let me go get a new person, go through the process, bring them in. And the, the cog just keeps going instead of, wait a minute, we have an opportunity here. Let's reassess. We lost this person. This is the skill sets they brought. This is what we need going forward, which may or may not be what we needed in the past. And how do we make an intelligent choice of how do we build our roster, right? It's like a sports team, right? If mm-hmm. I lose Michael Jordan off my sports team, there's an impact, right? As opposed to someone else whose skill set's different. And um, and then the needs may have shifted too. And so that's a dynamic that um, it was just, this is how we've done it. Lose somebody, hire somebody. And you know, then we keep moving forward instead of wait a minute, let's pause and reflect on what the needs are. And, and do you find that needs. that may be due to a scheduling conflict, right? In other words, that there's deadlines and commitments on delivery of products or services or whatever widgets, mm-hmm. right? Your whatever your deliverable is, it's based on a schedule and a timeline, and those timelines traditionally don't allow the HR component to enter in to make that work more effective, efficient, and um, even enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a timeline element to it. I mean, you get what you incent and you get what you prioritize, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of priority, the the habit that had formed that seemed to be embedded in uh seems to be embedded in many uh work cultures is just get what we need we have headcount we have the money for it let's go get it and, um and getting the body in there instead of asking what is the type of person we need and um how can we really do that if we don't really fully understand other than we hired this person to be an accountant this person to be an it guy this person to be uh, mm-hmm. a finance girl and um, we don't ask what their needs are their needs are and what their aspirations are how do they want to grow in their role where do they want to go exactly and it's just about this is we need someone to execute this thing it's an execution focus which business is execution right there's it's a huge part of it um and then the things that we focus on engagement and those kind of things are really outcomes right and Mm -hmm. we can't get to we can't get to better outcomes like that until we start at the core in terms of um, connecting with our people and truly well, dialing. Do you think that's the essence of what's being called agility in the or agility in the new business development um, post pandemic? First of all, but even in the twenty first century, you know, the last century's methodologies don't work anymore. So that agility needs to be in place, and, and it would seem that what we're talking about, the uh, the exploration of the aspirations and needs of the employee are, be, are a better focus because ultimately you get more production. Yeah, and uh, I mean, for me, it's, you know, common knowledge and common practice, right? So I think more people know that this is probably the way to go. And yet, um, 
larger businesses, corporations, companies. Um, they're like di educational systems too. They're like dinosaurs and they're really slow to move with change, even when that change needs to be sweeping and immediate in order to, to shift the direction. And sometimes that isn't, sometimes that's possible in smaller organizations, but when you get, I think, what was it? The Gore Associates determined that it was 150 people that constituted yeah. a community. And once that 150 was achieved, they built another building, right? So that that was never a question. And, and so having those kinds of, or that kind of awareness, first of all, and looking at, okay, how, what are the, the dynamics of people working together? What are, are the optimal conditions, numbers, attitudes, uh, support, education, you know, and, and time you can spend with them. You know, from an educational standpoint, I had 50 kids in classroom for 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. So that's one minute per student that yeah, I tough. have. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And so how do we get around that? What do you see as being some of those options in, in uh, taking what you know and, and the practical and pragmatic applications of that and, and how it can or is working in places you've been able to help? So, I mean, I, I, I see it. Uh, I'm connected to people like VaynerMedia with Claude Silver and Gary Vaynerchuk. Their culture is built on this kind of people first and prioritizing uh people first and it's it's lived the values are lived it's not just spoken right. and and so the first step to getting there is having an open mind about uh things being different than the event right and that being open to new ways of doing things and seeing differently and then um getting past the discomfort of it being unknown territory as a leader oh i'm going there it's uncomfortable it may impact my ability to lead as effectively as i uh, i've been leading the way uh I'm used to leading. And so that gets to um, relationship with vulnerability, relationship with control, right. relationship with fear, relationship with those kind of things. And, um, and the relationship with control. And the relationship with the releasing control. of it. And whether it's truly valued, right? So if it's yeah. not valued, it'll never change, right? So in the organization, so if we had this in, in my uh, organization. I had a VP when I was in IT that um, sort of led in this uh this way, uh, someone that you want to follow, that you want to be on their team, but he's not able to shape a 5,000 person organization unless there's alignment between his peers and then their bosses. And this is something that becomes a value uh, that's lived within the organization. And so that's what, for me, uh, we talk about whatever you want to talk about initiative wise, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Everybody's talking about it, and yet we're still not much further along in the process. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's some change in terms of having, um, more women in leadership roles and people of, um, of color in, in various roles. Um, uh, and yet, you know, uh, it's, it's not enough. And so for me, it's, it's, where does the priority lie? And HR is being not, um, it's being different than it's been viewed It's being viewed as a partner and working alongside leadership yeah. and doing and that. It's and become... Uh, a business unit 
too yep. within an organization. I in some organizations, yeah. And um, and then it's even how they're viewed. IBM, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's, you know, I think that the steps that I've seen is there's there's a spectrum, right? Some people are kind of further along, but the, the steps are, you know, first is the language, and then there's the um, the attempted application, then there's the learning. It's the normal learning curve process, mm -hmm. and then there's the um, the embedded values that are lived, and then you can feel and see that, and then those tend to relate to the improvements you're looking to see in retention numbers, um, engagement numbers, results. Um, however, the thinking, you know, thinking about um, 90 day cycles for, um, you know, and, and uh, stockholder value and, and focus that it's been. And then, then the production kind of industrial age stuff, we've been conditioned for that for a long time. So unconditioning for people from that is different. Like, you know, yeah, there's a deadline on this, but well, unless and it's now there's brain the, surgery. the 12 year or 12 week year model, right? The 90 day cycles, the, the yeah. quarterly cycles where that, because of the nature of, and, and speed of which things work now, that truncation, I don't know if it has anything to do with Moore's law, right? But I think it probably does because with the increase of use of not necessarily artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence, mm -hmm. that it allows us to have a more uh, rapid delivery cycle. And I think some of uh, what we're getting to is around that we've processes we have in place, which are great and necessary, the structures necessary to um, run organizations and be successful. Um, how often do we look at our policies and our processes and, and, and look at the needs now and align the two and say, wait a minute, we need to adjust and be more flexible with it. Decision-making, critical thinking, the skills that are crucial now, they've always kind of been crucial. But if we have a process, maybe we come relying on the process to uh, to execute the work and um, and get things done. Uh, for me, it's um, the opportunity is in uh, creating the conditions for people to thrive, mm -hmm. and and that starts with valuing people first. And uh, there's data out now that's starting to prove that you know, companies like VaynerMedia and others that are doing uh, similar types of operating similar um, ways that uh, people want to stay longer. They bring discretionary effort. Um, they uh, are more collaborative than competitive or co they're mm -hmm. competitive in a good way with each other instead of against each other. And so um, I think that's where the sweet spot is, is sure. uh, the openness to seeing differently and then uh, committing and investing and in, in changing. So what I hear you saying is that there's the openness to collaboration instead of competition or not seeing it as competition even though the, they're made yeah, it's a weak culture even, even within culture. organizations you know worldcom and i'm sure you remember them maybe some of our viewers will mm -hmm. but they their downfall came as a result of one of their division presidents i guess it was had a piece of software that would allow all the other divisions to talk to each other more effectively and, and communicate electronically. Mm. And he held it back for some reason. Mm. And as a result, communication failed. 
And when that happens, you know, when there's not clear lines of, of communication and the ability to do so, everybody doesn't know what everybody else is doing. And so there's conflict and confusion and chaos and it eventually just falls into entropy, right? So now we've got a little better understanding and from what you're saying, that clarity has come through in the organizational development and the needs that are present in order to do so effectively. And, and we see, you know, uh, we, the lived values, I'll come back to that, right? It's demonstrated behaviors. If there's uh, sharing going on and uh, open sharing and, and helping others with what you've got and sharing your knowledge, um, I would imagine that there's, uh, that's leading to more better relationships, collaboration, openness, and there's systems in place, whether it's promotion systems and these kind of things that uh, are important for people within organizations in terms of their career aspirations, uh, decision-making along those lines, uh, they're, they're in place with the mindset uh, of uh, we versus me in culture. And I think that the- No ego the, without we go. What's that? No ego without we go. We go, yeah. And right. so- and um, and so that's the thing, right? It's it's uh, you and I, you know, the, the mindset or the thing that I see I've seen most often in my career is, you know, you and I are it's a withholding of information, right? Why would he share? Because of the culture there is like, there's no benefit to them him sharing that, or he has got, he, but he yeah, he created it in the first place, so he saw a value, but the values didn't align with the values of the organization. So then that's the thing that I see too is values alignment, right? Mm -hmm. And. Uh, if we're talking about values alignment, um, is does someone choose to come to company X because uh, there's values alignment, or do, do they need a job, or you know, there's different motivations why people choose to work in certain places? Well, absolutely, depending on the level of self awareness. And so, back to self awareness again, and, and let let's kind of um, hit the reverse button for a moment and go back to your your experience at Georgetown. Mm. I have a suspicion, theory seems to be evidence, that that personal move or that personal experience is a fractal of the larger and that when it moves, the larger also, it's like the butterfly effect, right? Um, how, did you, how did you see that with yourself and what, the transformation that you had in comparison to then the larger group work. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So let me start. And if I'm not hitting your spot, then, then let me know in terms of that. Okay. The, I don't know the, that the, I have the, a spot to hit, but go ahead. In terms of, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm evasive, uh, right? <laughs> I bounce so around. Me, for me, what happened is I was able to let go of stuff, right? In terms of vulnerability, weren't caring about what other people think and, you know, overly worrying and being anxious, used anxiety back then. There's a lot of this energy of anxiety. And so, um, showed up. The anxiety, if we pause for, for just a moment, the anxiety was because of what? The unknown, the, the change that was about to take oh, place, it was uncomfortable uh, or uh, uh, all the, the uh, actual need to shift my relationship with it. This is okay. what, what will people think of me? Um, not good enough. You know, those kind of thought processes. So going mm -hmm. through the process now, it's um, what changed within me is just uh, acceptance, right? We talked about judgment and acceptance. I had to accept myself. 
that I do have and bring value and celebrate that and then focus that in terms of how and who do I want to direct that energy towards in terms of contributing to uh, other people and team development uh, opportunities, whether that's um, one-on-one coaching or uh, team coaching or strategic coaching um, within organizations. It's really about it starts with awareness, right? So my awareness has shifted from, I saw through a different lens, I guess is the way I would put it Mm -hmm. after I'd done that. So um, how do you spin that fractal out into a larger group setting to increase not the, because it's a simultaneous thing as the the self-awareness increases, the group awareness tends to also. uh, Yeah, and so from a self-awareness, well, Self-awareness for me is what was getting in the way. I I became clear on that. And so if we're going into a situation, whether it's another person or another group, um, and they're struggling with something, um, so what's what's getting in the way then? Goals that cause those bottlenecks. Bottlenecks, yeah. And so uh, what's getting in the way? Um, And so you start there and start getting curious about it. And, you know, typically they're along the lines of human stuff communication relationships um those kind of things language you know uh not being aware of energy right your energy someone else's energy that may be triggering you those kind of things Mm -hmm. so it's bringing uh you know conversational intelligence it's bringing emotional intelligence and some of these other tools to help people connect with their presence now do you think that uh, i I totally agree with you and I, I believe this is, I also experience, this is what's happening, right? Do you see that the advances in the understanding from a quantum physics level about energy and about the seeming matter of being no matter, right? We're 99% space. Are those kinds of things kind of seeping through the instructional process with different language? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm, I'm qualified to speak on quantum physics, and I'm not in that. Well, it, not... it's it's an app. It, it's actually what you're talking about being able to sense okay. people. Okay, that's energy. So there's a trans. Right. There, there's something going on that's mm-hmm. non-physical. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I equate it to awareness and, and being able to be aware, not just what you're hearing, but also through the body and all your faculties being um, awake to be able to receive and to, to engage with what's going on and right. taking in that information and then make, being able to uh, expand awareness that way and then make decisions from that place. So if that's quantum physics, then. And the reason okay. I'm bringing that in is because these kinds of things, the sensitivity, the empathy, the, those apparent what what used to be called spiritual gifts right Mm. were seen as threatening Mm. to others right because you can hide right (laughs) from that and so those that could see and hear and feel and and, you know the the, that they're uh, i call them the clairols all the different you know clair senses that are available that we don't necessarily incorporate or even consider let alone know about those become more accessible because now they have a scientific exploration or explanation 
right? Where it used to be the woo woo, you know, kind of new agey stuff and people like, yeah, right. Where, where now there's actually science that backs it up. The neuroscience, right. the, the neurosensitivity in the body and, and the centers that are available that, that show and even, you know, and even the gamma uh, <clears throat> wave or the, the gamma state in the, the MRIs where they're testing athletes of, of either doing the thing or imagining it and the brain responds the same. So those kind of applications seem to be, or I would hope anyway, are beginning to seep into the old industrial age mindset. And I'll make this distinction because the, the word mindset tends to be constrictive in my experience, right? It's more like a mind flow because there's a movement that takes place as opposed to the boundaries of a mindset. So does that make sense? And how would it that- It makes sense. I, I think from a relatability, we use mindset for relatability. I think if we started getting into mind flow and stuff, the thing that's actually happening, we may not be able to connect with someone to try and you know, get our uh, point across. And that's if you're at a, um, the level, unless you have someone that's at uh, a level of understanding that can understand that piece of it. But or neuroscience- find simple ways to make the distinction. Yeah. Yeah, we use language that makes the distinction. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, so I, I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh. So with regard it's to- the caboose. <laughs> um, well, mindset, I mean, that's ultimately what we're trying to do is help people uh, move from where they are to where they're, yeah. uh, to a, a place where they're, they're better served. And Could we so, say uh, it's to help people to find flow? to find to yeah i call it inviting flow yeah okay inviting flow and going so you know acknowledge release invite uh, it's sort of like the uh a practice there and so um if we're talking about you know uh, workplaces and um how do we how do we move forward uh, from where we are how do we you know how do i work with people to help you know the group bring my experienced person to the group um i think it's everybody wants data right and so it's always been data 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 now the data is more human related data and we've got the capacity to share some neuroscience and other um related data to help uh prove so that someone say okay I'll, I'll invest in doing this or i won't invest in doing this and so there, that element i think has been there it's just the type of data now i think available to us and tr becoming more trusted leads to more opportunity do you think that maybe Roddenberry had uh, the idea in mind of showing that transference with data and the human interaction and how that character was used in the series? I'm not sure if your reference is lost on me, so I'm not sure I can data. respond to it. In, in the Star Trek series, the android yeah. that was wanting to be human. And I'm, I'm not a Star so Trek guy, unfortunately, so uh, the okay. reference is a bit lost right. on me, sorry. Well, that's just, you know, it's one of the, I grew up with Star Trek and, and looking at the things that were included in that, that reflect our human condition and the challenges that we face and, and oftentimes how we can overcome them too, in, in that openness and finding flow. Um, but the, the aspect of data being that, um, not particularly AI, but the augmented 
intelligence that was able to bridge the gap between the numbers and humanity, mm. right? And so that's kind of what we're doing now, it, it, it seems. Do you see that process happening where we're learning how to humanize the data and, and apply it so that we can have a better living environment as a result? I, I do. I think um, more in my space is humanizing the conversation thing and, and getting connected to having conversations about how people feel at work, right? You can't, you know, cry at work. You can't express emotions at work, that kind of thing. I think we're having the conversation. You can, it's just if you do, it's gonna be- <laughs> There's consequences, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, you know, those kind of things is um, getting just back to the basics of listening. Uh, asking people about themselves, you know, uh, how they feel, uh, what are they seeing, what, you know, inviting people in to share their thoughts. Um, I think it's some of the basic stuff uh, we can start there. And then, yes, data that supports, you know, investing in large initiatives that support moving. Uh, this, yes, we can definitely do that. Um, and there's more of that happening and we're humanizing some of the, the data, as you were mentioning. Uh, for me, I think it's, just starts with connection. If we, if we just get back to the basics of connecting with another one, listening, looking people in the eye, um, truly listening, actively listening, um, and um, and giving people, inviting them to share their voice, and uh, giving them, creating the conditions under which people feel they matter, then I think all the other stuff starts to sure. um, take care of itself. I would agree, and, and active listening being a part of it for our listeners or our watchers, viewers. Um, active listening, if you're not familiar with that, means that you are listening well enough to reframe, in your words, what you just thought you heard the person say in order to achieve congruence in the exchange of the message, right? Now, you mentioned the, the connectivity that's been missing in this um, last couple of years. Do you see, you know, we went from a place where we, the narrative was basically telling us to be afraid of each other, right? And to avoid each other at all costs, ask up, sequester, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you see that now having the reverse effect where we've gotten so far on one end of the spectrum that now people are coming back and they're wanting to connect in deeper, more sustainable and significant ways? So I think what I, my experience for the pandemic the last two years is uh, finding new ways to connect, right? So we had online was became, Zoom became a huge way to connect with people during the pandemic because we weren't able to meet in person. Um, I think the need to connect is always been, I think the mechanism of how we do it has changed. And I think now as, um, we navigate through the pandemic as it ebbs and flows in terms of its impact. Um, we find ways to connect and, and be with people that meet our needs. Some people uh, need to be face-to-face. -face. Some people um, don't need that as much. And some people don't, don't like spending back-to-back -back meetings on Zoom. I don't think anybody was, does because it's a lot of uh, focused energy there. and. Um, 
it's, it Isn't that happen. same kind of focused energy present in a normal work day when you've got meeting after meeting after meeting in person too? It, it, it can be. Uh, and I think the difference being um, the disconnect, there's an element of disconnect perhaps with technology than there is in the present era where you have to fully like be on, you have to have your video on um, mm -hmm. and you can kind of be disconnected mentally. Um, you can do that in meeting and face You can do that in meetings too. as well. And so I guess- <laughs> yeah, Just look at the eyes around the room. There's not everybody's there. Right, and that's the case with most people. I guess from the standpoint of connection in terms of whether it's, um, what it's like now versus then. Um, I can speak from my experience, but I imagine there's various different experiences and depending upon where you are in the world and, um, and your preferences. For me, what I see happening is uh, people want, there's, we're on the spectrum, right? So as soon as people, after the uh, pandemic came out, as soon as people can get out and um, be with people, they did that, right? And in the United States, in some cases, uh, to the detriment of the greater whole, right? Because people were choosing what they wanted to do without wearing masks and getting into um, restaurants and other places and crowds um, because that was their choice. They felt like maybe they were um, constrained. And based on all the information I've read from the science standpoint and, and even the medical standpoint, the masks really weren't all that effective and they would actually do, do more damage to your uh, oxygen content. Well, masks or even social distancing, right? It doesn't have to be masks, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. social distancing, but just the, the safety. I like to make that, distinctions. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so, but whatever safety measures were, would uh, make it less likely to transmit is really the, the point. It the point about masks is, I'm sure, a topic that's going to get people from both sides of the equation there. Um, but well, the, and that brings in the you know, if you're healthy and you have a healthy immune system, then you're probably going to be fine. And the fact that we have succumbed to the fast foods, the, you know, box foods, the stuff with little nutrition value, and, and most of the people in the United States are overweight. So that's going to have an effect on how things spread too. And we didn't really take that into consideration. Yeah. Yeah, well, just the, the food thing is an interesting thing, right? We get, we get uh, conditioned to like the taste of food, right? But not necessarily relate to the nutritional value and what it, the harm it may be doing from a young age. And then again, well, MSG uh, was created for just that. It was a taste enhancer to get you to want yeah. more. It was used in rats to fatten them up in the laboratory. And then they start putting it in our food. I mean, come on. Yep. Anyway. And so it's again, learn behavior, right? right. <laughs> Unlearning, back to what you, know, you asked me about unlearning. And that's the thing too, is, um, you know, the, the thing that, that with unlearning is as adults, when we have the, you know, we mature our cognitive capacity around 25 or 26, I'm told from science perspective is when we get fully uh, mature brain in most people. Um, yeah, that the opportunity to, to self-reflect and, and question some of the values and beliefs and do so without judgment and then just connect uh, and uh, with what, what do you believe? Ask yourself, you know, what do you believe? What is it that you want to stand for? If it's different than what your family or the people close to you uh, believe, that can be difficult. When I'm working with people from different cultures, there's, you know, and especially people that have come to the U.S. and they want to progress in their career, right? There's mm -hmm. the, you know, um, 
the, the values that are in the culture from where they may um, be coming from um, may not lend themselves to their being successful in getting into leadership roles here. Um, and so there's a, a, an opportunity there to um, not just, you know, change the values or disconnect from the values that you have. American companies had the same experience trying to go overseas and take our culture yeah. over there, not studying the cultures that they were going into. Exactly. And 80% of them failed as a result. And then, you know, they wonder why. Well, the same thing's happening to others coming here now where, you know, they don't, I'm sure they take into some consideration the culture they're going into. And yet as a whole, our culture here is the youngest on the planet. We, we've got 200 years of amalgamation and assimilation. And we're still haven't learned how to get along together to the point where we're that cohesive as a, as a national community. And, and Do you see that, that changing? Been, uh, until we are uh, naturally and intentionally more curious, no, because I think there's still more fear than there is curiosity until that dynamic changes. Mm -hmm. I am skeptical about any meaningful change. Well, let's look at that for just a moment, because you, in, in order to do that, I know you've got some wisdom you can share. What kind of advice could you give for those who are facing that kind of movement in their own lives? So can, as to can, how they're dealing with the diversity and being able to um, not necessarily assimilate, but to embrace it and move into it more effectively. So assimilate becomes the word. I've I, I searched for a different word. I haven't been able to find one that uh, I prefer at this point. Mm -hmm. But uh, coming, say, into the corporate world, right? Um, understanding first what is important to you. I think you start with where, where do I want to go, right? and um, what matters to you? Because what I find in some cultures is um, the energy tends to be outward and upward in terms of respect for elders and others. A lot of people haven't really taken the time to go inside and say, you know, this is what really matters to me. I really want to do this. My family may want me to go become a doctor or what, whatever profession of prestige. And, um, and I'm invested a lot in doing this, but you know what, I'd rather do something else. I'd rather, become an artist or do something else that may cause some, some harm. So I think first is knowledge of self. Mm -hmm. And giving your permission to do so. And giving yourself permission to do so. And then, and then it's okay. Um, when I make my choice of seeking employment, um, making sure that there's an alignment or an opportunity there that aligns with what you're looking to do and then creating it. Right. And so um, how do I create what I want? How do I build relationships? Because that's the other thing, too, in terms of people that um, may come from cultures where uh, it's not valued or not thought highly of to brag about yourself or to kind of put yourself out there in that way. Um, help them see that that see that behavior of speaking up for yourself as not being braggadocious, but as uh, sharing um, your accomplishments and um, having that tied to why you want to go and pursue this new role or this uh, this promotion or whatever. So it's getting them to think in terms of framing things differently uh, to align, align their needs to the goals. They may have to change the, their framing of their language, 
and their um, their approach to their work. Um, and I think it's the same with you know, if we're going if people from America are going to other countries, we've got to do some research first and understand you know what are the customs, what are the things they should do, what are the, what are the things they shouldn't do, and um, and so in terms of uh, for people that are coming here and how do you, for lack of a better word, assimilate, um, I think it starts with uh, your understanding of self. And so, um, and that might be something that a journey people go on for the first time. So that might be something to take into consideration. And if it is, you know, you seek out someone that might be able to help you, whether it's a coach or uh, someone else to help you um, be a, uh, a learning and a listening partner to uh, help you determine how you might uh, approach it from a language perspective, from a sure. uh, strategy perspective in a way that serves you. And I would think the critical factor and necessity there is to have another as opposed to a book or a DVD or actual person yep. like that. You have to have that capacity for conversation otherwise it's just a feed in there's no feedback loop Very important point thanks for adding that it, yeah, it, books okay. are interesting. that's what grows our relationships right that's right and so books are interesting we grow our knowledge but yeah you can't get that feedback from uh someone else and i might offer too um and if you're moving to a new country you may not have family here so it might have to be someone that's not in your inner circle but someone that is a little bit outside your circle that um, can truly play uh, uh, the support person without having any preconceived notions based on their experience with you that might offer some, some value. And then the other thing I would suggest is multiple people, right? Some that do know you, some that don't. Men, women, depends sort of what you're looking to do. And um, it's just like with mentors, I, I advocate for multiple mentors based on you know, what you're looking to do, stage of life, uh, functional role, those kind of things can help give you different perspective and insights from which you can make your own decision, right? Because the mentors, they're just giving you uh, sharing their knowledge, but you make sure. your own decision from that perspective. And so Absolutely. the more information you get from diverse uh, perspectives, the better off you'll be, right? That's what's wonderful for me is I have so many mentors in the conversations that I have <laughs> through this program. And wow, the learning is just spectacular. And I truly appreciate the time that you've spent with me today and, and given of your insight, wisdom, and the process that you've been through that can ultimately be beneficial for others. I hope so. And I, I thank you for inviting me on to be with you today. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and always enjoy the explorations. I always learn something from these conversations I can take away and bring back. So yeah. um, it's the uh, apocalyptic chat. That's right, the apocalyptic chat. And so um, yeah, hopefully there's uh, stuff that people can take away and bring to their own lives, something That's of value. Great. great. Well, thanks again, Brian. Thank you, Zen. Appreciate it. Namaste and in la catch. Thank you so much for being with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefiel, your host, and I will see you next time.